I personally am embarrassed and humiliated that I am not included in the Constitution to the United States. ERA is not going to solve any of your problems, whatever they are. In the 1970s, Congress passed the Equal Rights Amendment. For it to become part of the Constitution, at least 38 state legislatures also had to approve it. We have until June 30th, 1982 to ratify this essential amendment to the Constitution. Debates about the merits of the amendment rage across the country, including one in Iowa City in 1979. It does not give any rights to women at all. This is From the Archives, a podcast from Iowa Public Radio featuring recently rediscovered historic audio from our archives. On this episode, a contentious debate about the Equal Rights Amendment. The people don't want it. Phyllis Schlafly is the leader of the Stop ERA movement. They don't see any gain in it. It doesn't do anything for women. One of the many women she debates this issue with is Karen DeCrow, the former president of the National Organization for Women. Human rights issues are not debatable, and the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution should not be debatable. It was pretty typical of the discussions about the ERA at the time. Karen Kondrowski is a political scientist and director of the Carrie Chapman Cat Center for Women and Politics. The opposing sides really talked past each other. All it does is to force us into the gender-free mold. There is no guaranteed legal equality for women in any state. By 1973, 30 states ratified the amendment, but then the momentum stopped. ERA advocates simply failed to appreciate the strength of the anti-ERA movement. There aren't any laws that discriminate against women. It is the youth of this country who must demand that women are not second-class citizens in the United States. A 1970s debate about the Equal Rights Amendment on this episode of Iowa Public Radio's From the Archives. I'm John Pimple. I feel that one of my major jobs as an attorney is to travel around the country convincing people in this country that there is no guaranteed legal equality for women in any state until three more states have ratified the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution. Former president of the National Organization for Women, Karen DeCrow, speaks to an audience on the University of Iowa campus in March 1979. There is no better place in this country then universities where the free flow of ideas must be exchanged to discuss this issue. An amendment to the Constitution of the United States first must pass both chambers of Congress. If 38 state legislatures also approve the amendment, it becomes part of the Constitution. In March 1972, the U.S. House and Senate approved the ERA with a 92% majority. One year later, 30 states ratified the ERA, But then, momentum drastically slowed. Now, I don't tell you that we have no problems in the world, but I will tell you flatly that ERA is not going to solve any of your problems, whatever they are. Phyllis Schlafly is the founder of the Stop ERA campaign. She launched the movement from her home in Illinois, where she published a monthly newsletter called the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A month before the ERA passes Congress, she starts lobbying against it. She spreads her message of opposition by participating in debates like this one in 1979. All ERA does 
is to make our laws sex neutral, regardless of whether people want them or not, and regardless of what effect it would have. And I would suggest that every time it does that, it takes away a right from women. It does not give any rights to women at all. The language of the amendment reads as follows. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. We do not have all the equality we need in the employment world. Karen DeCrow says the ERA would pave the way for providing better conditions for women in the workforce. Opponents of the Equal Rights Amendment will tell you that women have all the protection we need and that there is economic inequality to women because we do different kinds of jobs and are in the job market for a different length of time. That is absolutely not true. The median income for women in this country is about $6,000 for men. It is about $12,000. ERA will not raise the pay of women. If your pay is $800 a month, it is not going to raise it to $1,000. ERA is not going to give you a promotion. ERA will do absolutely nothing for women in the field of employment. There's no way it can extend the effect of the Equal Employment Opportunity Act of 1972. ERA will not make ex-husbands make their support payments or their alimony payments. ERA will not force your husband to do the diapers and the dishes. ERA does not do any of these things. With regard to the ERA will not have men changing diapers. That is correct. The ERA will not have men changing diapers. <laughs> However, in the state of Pennsylvania, the ERA is of great benefit to women who do not have jobs outside the home. Karen DeCrow is talking about a state equal rights amendment that Pennsylvania passed in 1971. This is separate from the federal ERA. Pennsylvania was the first in the nation to pass a different version of the ERA to its state constitution. In the state of Pennsylvania, for the first time, unpaid work, unpaid labor of housewives is taken into consideration at the time of divorce. This never happened before they had a state ERA. And I submit to you that when opponents of the Equal Rights Amendment stated on national television that the Pennsylvania state ERA has taken rights away from housewives, the Assistant Attorney General of the state of Pennsylvania stated that that is completely false. In the state of Pennsylvania, what? Housewives did not lose rights because of the state ERA. They gained rights because of the state ERA. One of the recurring arguments from ERA opponent Phyllis Schlafly concerns a future military draft. By 1973, the United States stopped conscripting people to the armed services, and from 1975 through 1980, the selective service system was suspended. Now, for a good many years, we've been talking about the effect of ERA on the draft and military combat. And people have been saying, oh, Phyllis is just raising an emotional issue. Well, now it's very clear, since Harold Brown has come right out and called for the drafting of women, the registering of women... Secretary of Defense Harold Brown said if selective service returns, both men and women should be required to sign up. I wonder how many of those clapping have already volunteered. You know, they're looking for volunteers. All you need to do is to run, not walk, to your nearest recruiting office. They're, they're looking for you. They're ready for you to sign up. Uh, of course, under ERA, this becomes mandatory, and it really just boggles the mind to see how anybody could call it an advance for women, an improvement in women's rights, 
to say, oh great, the next war, women are going to be drafted and put in combat just like men. But that, of course, is one of the effects of the Equal Rights Amendment. ERA would forbid us to make any reasonable differences of treatment between men and women that reasonable people want. Karen DeCrow says the ERA can help protect women serving in the armed forces. The major impact of the ERA on the military life of women would be it would guarantee equality for women in the military. It would not have a relationship to drafting women. It is nonsense. It is nonsense to say the women between 18 and 23 in this country want to be drafted. It is equally nonsense to say the men between 18 and 23 in this country want to be drafted. The debate structure is very informal. There are rebuttals, but nothing is limited to time. For an hour, the audience asks questions, like this one from an unidentified woman. If it is unconstitutional in the United States to deny rights on the basis of race or national origin or religion, why is it uh, any different for those of us who, uh, who are interested in a denial of rights on the basis of sex? Because there's more difference between a man and a woman than there is between a black and a white. <laughs> All right. One. Uh, are you finished? No, I'm not finished. It would be fitting in a university setting to allow Mrs. Shafley to finish her answer to the question that was asked. You know, I, I get the impression here that there's some of you who really aren't so much interested in ratifying ERA as you are in repealing the First Amendment. Now. Um, I'm glad you brought up the question of, of race, however. I do remember all those things. And uh, I think it makes a very good point that the blacks uh, did not get the great gains that they have gotten in the last few years under a constitutional amendment. They got it under federal legislation. And that is the better way to get it. Schlafly is talking about the 1964 and 1968 Civil Rights Acts. She says if the ERA is ratified, it will give the federal government too much power. DeCrow argues it wasn't a federal or state law, but a U.S. constitutional amendment in 1920 that finally gave women the right to vote. With regard to the argument that we don't want the federal government into our lives, I don't think ERA proponents want the federal government in our lives. Unfortunately, the federal government is already in our lives. And it's a false argument to say, we don't want this, we want states' rights, we want everybody in their own house to determine what can happen. The federal government is very much in our own lives. And unfortunately, the federal government is presently in our lives in the role as 
perpetuator of sex discrimination, and that has to stop. National Organization for Women former president Karen DeCrow with founder of Stop ERA Phyllis Schlafly debating the Equal Rights Amendment at the University of Iowa in March 1979. Opponents uniformly stated that the Equal Rights Amendment would provide a permanent constitutional protection for abortion. Political scientist Karen Kodrowski says as the ERA went to the states for ratification, opponents tied abortion rights to their arguments. But if the ERA became a constitutional amendment, would it influence abortion rights? What it comes down to it is that we don't know, unless and until the Supreme Court rules. How the ERA could or could not change laws and policies affecting women. Next, on Iowa Public Radio's From the Archives, I'm John Pimble. We have until June 30th, 1982, to ratify this essential amendment to the Constitution. In March 1979, National Organization for Women former President Karen DeCrow is in Iowa City. She is debating the Equal Rights Amendment with founder of the Stop ERA movement, Phyllis Schlafly. In the first 12 months after ERA came out of the Congress in 1972, they got 30 states. And in the succeeding six years, they got five states. The proponents of the Equal Rights Amendment, I think, made a strategic mistake. Karen Kadrowski is a professor of political science at Iowa State University and director of the Carrie Chapman Catt Center for Women and Politics. They thought that the arguments that Schlafly was coming up with were just so ridiculous. The federal government has been spending an enormous amount of taxpayers' money to try to persuade legislators to vote yes. Schlafly talks about this being an expansion of federal power. Well, it's clearly because of Section 2 of ERA. The second sentence of the Equal Rights Amendment that says that Congress shall have the power to enforce this amendment through legislation. And that is why the federal employees see an ERA, a big extension of power, a big increase in their staffs and their bureaus and their personnel and their tax funds. The thing that, that she ignores and that the advocates of the ERA did not highlight is that this language is in almost every constitutional amendment, right? A constitutional amendment without an enforcement mechanism is nothing but symbolic. Don't try to handle uh, the matter by shipping all the authority and the power down to Washington so that a bunch of politicians and unelected bureaucrats can make all the decisions for us up and down the line. Thank you. Most of the questions from the audience are for Phyllis Schlafly, including one about breastfeeding at work. I would like to request that you comment on a case here in Iowa City that has gained a lot of national interest, and that is the case of Linda Eaton, the firefighter. In early 1978, Iowa City firefighter Linda Eaton wanted to nurse her child during her breaks at the fire station, but was denied. She did it anyway and was sent home without pay. She filed a motion in court to prevent the city from firing her. Her story was covered by Network Television News. 
Well, I'm a great supporter of breastfeeding babies since I did uh, nurse all of my children at least six months, but I didn't do it in the firehouse. And I don't think that's the place to do it. The Iowa Civil Rights Commission stepped in and found the fire department was violating Iowa's Civil Rights Act by not allowing Eaton to nurse at work. Yeah, well, I think it's a great step forward for the Iowa Human Rights Commission that they found probable cause in Linda's case. There's interest in this case all over the country. I don't think I've been in any state where people haven't been talking about this case. I was really quite pleased to be driven by the firehouse. Uh, In 1980, Eaton left the fire department as the city council was preparing to appeal the Iowa Civil Rights Commission's ruling. Linda Eaton's case really does preview the conflicts that working women had when they faced the issue of going back to work and they wanted to breastfeed. And it was not until the Affordable Care Act was passed in 2010 that stipulates that employers must provide a lactation space for women to either breastfeed or pump during breaks while at work, which is essentially what Linda Eaton wanted. When the ERA passed out of Congress, it had a deadline of March 1979 to be ratified by 38 states. At this point, it only had 35. Well, as many of you know, the only constitutional provision on time limit for amendments is that they be passed within a reasonable time. 18 of the 26 amendments to the Constitution have had no time limit. Since women have had a different social and legal status for thousands and thousands of years, it is no particular surprise to people who understand the deep-rooted nature of gender-based discrimination that the ERA has not been ratified immediately. We are embarrassed, we are disgraced, we are angry, but we're not surprised. In 1978, the deadline for ratification was extended by Congress to June 1982. Phyllis Schlafly accuses proponents of not wanting to play by the rules. And the purpose of that extension that was voted last fall, which I do not believe can stand up in court, and which is contrary to all rules of fairness, is to allow the expenditure of federal money in order to try to force states to vote yes when they would otherwise vote no. But by 1982, no more states ratified the amendment. Karen Kodrowski says that's when more states started to pass their versions of state constitutional amendments styled after the federal ERA. So there are 26 states that have some sort of language in their state constitutions that call to mind that that there should not be sex discrimination. Iowa first attempted this in 1980. The amendment for Iowa's constitution passed the state legislature, but was not approved by voters, a process necessary to amend Iowa's constitution. There was another attempt in 1992, which also passed in the legislature, but was not approved by Iowa voters. So in 1998, advocates tried for the third time, and what they did was they removed the operative language 
from the Equal Rights Amendment, the one that said that nothing, you know, this shall not be used um, to discriminate on the basis of gender. And this time it was ratified by Iowa voters. It made a very small change to the first section of Iowa's Constitution. Originally, it started, all men are by nature free and equal. What it now says is, all men and women are by nature free and equal. The previous supporters and opponents of the Equal Rights Amendment both agreed that this was not an Equal Rights Amendment. (laughs) Um, So we got an Equal Rights Amendment by saying it was not an Equal Rights Amendment. One of the arguments about equal rights amendments centers around abortion. The 1973 U.S. Supreme Court ruling in Roe v. Wade legalized abortion. Abortion ended up getting tied into the ERA debate from the moment that Roe v. Wade was decided. And opponents uniformly stated that the equal rights amendment would provide a permanent constitutional protection for abortion. Over time, ERA advocates began to also tie abortion rights to the amendment. Opponents will continue to argue that it would provide a constitutional protection for abortion, and that's bad. And advocates would argue that the ERA would provide a constitutional protection for abortion, and that's good. There are now more questions as to how a state's ERA applies to abortion rights after a June 2022 U.S. Supreme Court decision. That ruling, known as Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, overturned Roe and returned the regulation of abortion to states. It's becoming very, very clear that a woman has a right to access an abortion in one state and does not in another state just uh, you know, a few miles away. So because the Constitution doesn't protect it, it also doesn't prohibit it. But Kodrowski says some states' equal rights amendments do influence the legal status of abortion in that state. So, for example, in Rhode Island, their state constitution specifically says that the, that the clauses about banning discrimination against women does not affect abortion. New Mexico has an Equal Rights Amendment, and it has been interpreted by the state Supreme Court as protecting abortion. Now, Minnesota is an interesting case, because Minnesota has a constitutional amendment that states that abortion is a constitutionally protected right in Minnesota, but Minnesota does not have an ERA. Whether or not there is an ERA to the United States Constitution, Kodrowski says courts cannot overturn a constitutional amendment. But they can go into the legislative history and the debates and make a a decision based upon what they believe the sponsors of that legislation intended or the sponsors of that amendment intended. The Supreme Court and, and none of the courts can ignore that a constitutional amendment exists, but their interpretation of it could really um, you know, change how that amendment works. In 2020, the Equal Rights Amendment was ratified by 38 states, but language saying it had to be ratified by 1982 prevents it from becoming part of the Constitution. Kodrowski says the Senate and House could take action to remove the time limitation. The best chance is if there is a large enough Democratic majority in both the House and the Senate to remove the enabling legislation. That happened in the U.S. House of Representatives in 2021, but not in the Senate. Even if it does pass in both chambers, 
Kudrowski says the ERA will likely face challenges due to its unusual path to ratification. And when you look at the history of the ratification of the ERA, I mean, states were just ratifying really, really quickly. Uh, most of the states that ratified did so really in the first five years. And it took that amount of time before the opposition began to gel. And then once the opposition became organized, it, it really showed policymakers that women were not of one mind. And Phyllis Schlafly was the most prominent figure rallying opposition to the ERA in the 1970s. Some credit her activism as the reason it wasn't ratified before 1982. Now, we were asked about uh, shenanigans in Washington. There were so many shenanigans in connection with that extension deal that we don't have time to go into, but the main one... Mrs. Schlafly was just an absolutely, remarkably talented political operative. The proponents did not want any reasonable differences of treatment, no matter what the American people want. She really created the grassroots conservative women's movement almost out of nothing. Kudrowski says an equal rights amendment has a long and difficult path if it is ever to become part of the United States Constitution. The question is, does the Constitution prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex? And it doesn't. There is no constitutional protection. Within the last 50 years, rights expand and contract. So we have seen important advances with things like the Voting Rights Act and the civil rights effort and the feminist movement. I would say that nothing is settled and the next hundred years will probably continue to demonstrate that the arc of justice, you know, that time arcs towards justice, but it goes in fits and starts. Karen Kedrowski professor of political science at Iowa State University and director of the Carrie Chapman Cat Center for Women and Politics. On the next episode of From the Archives. We've been trying to make the laws apply to both male and female because if you look through the Iowa Code, you would think no laws applied to women. From the mid-1960s through 2000, Minette Doderer served in the Iowa legislature. She often pointed out the double standard women face. Women politicians are seen in a different light than male politicians. And she never hesitated to tell people exactly how she felt. Women are not only here to stay in the United States in public life, but that we are not freaks. From the Archives is a podcast exploring significant points in history that took place in Iowa through recently rediscovered recordings from Iowa Public Radio's archive. I'm your host, John Pemble. Producing this series with me are Katherine Perkins, Caitlin Troutman, and Rick Brewer. Additional help comes from Matt Searin, Dennis Reese, Andrea Hansen, and Jordan Bonson. Funding comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Subscribe to this series and rate it wherever you listen to podcasts. From the Archives is a production of Iowa Public Radio.